The following message is from the 2013 IBCD Summer Institute, Churches Equipped to Care. All right, ladies, we should get started. We have a lot of material here. Thank you for coming to this workshop. And it's good. It's good. I assume a lot of you are... Are you all hearing me? This may just be a recording device. I don't know. Okay, so I should project. Is that right? Okay, to the back. Good. Thank you so much for being here, and we're going to open with prayer and ask God's help. Lord, I am so thankful that we have a gathering here of women who are interested in people, their friends, their family members who are lonely wives, and uh, they may be lonely wives themselves. And so I pray, Lord, as you look, as you teach us from your word today, you'll help us to understand what you say and that you would help us to help others. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we're going to start with a quote from Proverbs 30, verse 21 through 23. And it says, Under three things the earth trembles. (laughs) Under four it cannot bear up. A servant who becomes king. A fool who is full of food. An unloved woman who is married. And a maidservant who displaces her mistress. Do you see how important this is to God? This issue? He's given us this one of four major things that's an offense, an offense against God's creation. So it's a common problem, as I said in the prayer, that some of you may know somebody who's dealing with this issue of being married and going into marriage happy and excited and wonderful walking down the aisle, and yet now you see yourself in a marriage which is separate, separate lives, and it's heartbreaking. This is the most difficult, heartbreaking subject. Um, it's one thing if you have a child who's disobedient, moves out, and some of you I've spoken to said, my child has moved out, they're living somewhere else, I don't see them much. But to have a spouse who is not treating you as a co-heir in Christ, fellow servant of God, you're uh, living in a very difficult situation. And I am so sympathetic when these women come in for counseling. They might come in and say, help me with my marriage. They might say, our sex life is really messed up. And it might not be someone who comes for counseling. It's more than like you, you're talking to somebody and you're finding out there's, there is a separate existence. And I don't mean just physically, but you're talking about emotionally. You know the 50s when you've got the husband sits and reading the paper and the wife's sitting and she's on the other side of the table and they're not talking to each other. That's what we're discussing today. So it's hard for Christians especially because a Christian knows God's plan for marriage. And a Christian goes into marriage with that happy ideal. You're expecting long life best friend. That's what you wanted in life. So as we look, let's just take a look at what God's plan is for marriage. And he does in the Garden of Eden bring a couple together, Adam and Eve. 
in a wonderful, beautiful expression of God's creation, out of Adam's rib comes a wife, a companion to him. And so we've got mutual love, and we have mutual respect, mutual service to the Lord with those two people. And as we're told in Ephesians 5, those of you who went to the women's pre-conference heard about Ephesians 5, not just talking about marriage, but thinking of God and his church is, in, is a symbol. So we have the ideal marriage. We have Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. We have a symbol of Christ in the church. Beautiful picture that gets marred by sin. Okay? We have sin in the garden. You immediately get loss of fellowship with God. The couple now do not have that, that super triangle relationship you've seen in the teaching on marriage. You have broken relationship with God and loss of fellowship with each other. It's, it's sad. It happens gradually. It happens over time, usually. And you have a barrier because of sin. And these two people, instead of being a help to one another, have now become, they have a desire to get help from one another. And each one is lonely, okay? Adam and Eve, you think about them having the perfection and then the loneliness afterwards, the estranged relationship. And you think this talk is about lonely wives, but let me tell you, there is a counterpart for the man, okay? He might not be talking to friends like the lonely wife will, but he's got that ache in his heart, I imagine. I mean, with what husband who marries knowing the Christian ideal survives thinking this is my life the rest of my life? And the wife, she is in pain, okay? She may come to you and say, how can you help me? So what we have is Adam and Eve, they are beginning to blame one another after the fall. I'm assuming you know the story. They were created to serve God. They had mutual submission. And now we have a marriage where they're wanting to serve themselves. Okay? And you've got blame happening right after the fall, don't we? Oh, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit. And then she's blaming. So we've got mutual blame. But who is the enemy in the garden? Who is the enemy? Satan. And when we have this kind of marriage with the fighting and the bickering and the you're not doing for me like I'm doing for you, that those two people tend to look at each other as the enemy. But who is the enemy? Satan. It's the enemy that's come into this perfect situation that God has made. And the wife can become full of a critical spirit, okay? And we're going to talk about it a lot more, but I've given you a few verses about the quarrelsome wife. And the, the image is of the constant dripping. The, this is the constant nagging going on. And you think it's the husband's perspective. He's saying, well, this wife you've given me, she's just, I can't live with her. And she's in pain herself. She is the one who has come, like I said, into marriage with high ideals, excited. And, but then she turns into the woman, and this you may know these people, okay? The one who goes out and spends her credit card to the max. The one who has ha clothes hanging in her closet with tags on them. Because spending makes me feel better. I don't feel so alone when I'm spending. 
or she's eating too much, or she's, she's got a little secret habit. She's got her stash of alcohol that she goes to in the afternoons. Something to kill this pain that she has. She's maybe into the romance novels. Well, my, my ideal husband's not here, but so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read about this guy. You know, the page turners where she's indulging in this fantasy world. And these people are going separate directions. They may be together. Okay, they may be together in the evening in front of the TV. But that's not fellowship, is it? It's not the longing that we've been created for, the, the mutual love that we need from our husbands. And she's disappointed. And so what these women tend to do, and I've had them in the counseling offices say, I have two choices. I can just remain miserable or I can leave. Okay. God doesn't want me to be unhappy. So that's a false dichotomy, as you can those of you who are experiencing biblical counseling know those aren't her two choices. And you may give her, you know, the first Corinthians ten thirteen that God has provided a way of escape and she goes, Goody, I've got a way of getting out of this. Okay? Those women, I'm saying, okay, that's not what we're talking about. Let's go back and find out what we can do. So I'm going to start out, I've got strategies to build unity. And this first step is just to think of this instead of a you problem, you, mister, are making my life horrible. It's a we problem. Okay, just change of, change of mental focus. This is a problem both of us have. And the, you want to keep some goals in mind. That is first things. Let's not have unrealistic expectations. And you've seen the bridal magazines. When the bride gets married and you open a bridal magazine. And my son's wedding was in a bridal magazine, so I know that all the pictures of the bride, right? And the husband's just like an accessory <laughs> on the side. You know, he's necessary for the wedding, but it's, it's my day. Okay, that, you're starting out already with the wrong perspective. And those wives going into their marriages expect more of that kind of thing. The doting husband, and oh, I'm so glad. You know. But then reality sets in. The person who has this re- unrealistic expectation of what husband will do for me is the one who has made husband my idol, is the biblical word, or he's my God. He's the one who's going to be fulfilling me. All right. So, unfortunately, we have our sister Eve, who she was a lack, had a lack of contentment in her life because she wasn't truly, you know, she's not appreciating God, the gift that God gave her. And as we go through the children of Israel, again, just not appreciating what God has done. And it says that God saved the people of Israel for his name's sake to make his mighty power known. So God's purpose in our marriages is his glorification. Okay, so get your mind off of myself. It's God, I'm in this marriage for your glory. That is going to help you. And we're going to talk more about it. But First of all, you're going to have to change the mindset. Again, it's not the whole bride thing. Just so excited. But we, we need to be anti-cultural. And by that I mean, 
let's not imitate what we see on TV of the stupid, ignorant husband and the wife who knows it all. Okay, so many ads like that, right? Oh, he's, he's just an idiot, and she's got the answer to what kind of insurance we need to buy, etc. Okay, so another shift. And it's hard to teach women who've been indoctrinated by culture that this view of husband is wrong. Okay? We're going to go back and shift to what God's view is. And women can have an, an anti-cultural attitude by the way they talk and by the way they think. And if you think about, well, this husband, I don't know, he's not doing for me, just remember your blessing to be married to a husband. And I could bring a long string of women who say, I, I wish I had someone who would go to work instead of me. I'm ra- I wish I had someone to help me raise my children, but my husband's not there. He could be deployed, but he's also, he's working. He's, you know, some husbands have left their wives. And then we have these wives alone. They'll say, well, you're complaining that he's not spending time with you and you're, you're lonely. Well, just be glad you're married. And the single woman would say, I've been longing for a husband. Why are you picking on him? <laughs> because you should appreciate what you have. That's another mind shift. Okay, Lord, I'm going to be appreciative of what I have. And then we talk about investing. you got to work. This marriage has got to be work, okay? And that's what we don't also see in the romance novels or whatever. We don't see the, the work and the effort it takes to be married. And people will come into the counseling office with the mentality, well, it's 50-50, right? But as biblical counselors, we know 100% towards 100% effort, okay, work. And that's... I'm going to give you lots of things to do to help. And you're going to also think, this marriage has been given to me by God. It's for better, for worse. That was my covenant I made when I got married. And I'm not going to fail when he's not fulfilling me. And we all have to come to a place, no matter whether we've got the best husband in the world or not, we're going to still say, I, my life is to live for God. Okay? It, there are going to be ups and downs. And my purpose is to glorify God in my situation. And I'm giving you uh, Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. So, as Elise Fitzpatrick told us in the women's pre-conference, the purpose of Christianity is not to have a better marriage. <laughs> and you might have seen churches emblazon that upon their signs outside. Come here to have a better marriage. Okay, this is a different mindset. It's all for God's glory. All right, that'll help you get through the disappointments, the ups and downs. And we can be like Christ in this marriage and say, Lord, I want to glorify your name, just like he did. He says, I've come to serve. I have not come to be served. We can honor the Lord as he asks us to do, as we've heard this wonderful sermon, a series of messages on Philippians 
2, 1 through 11, Bob Kellerman's telling us how to honor the Lord in our daily life. And, okay, this whole, the summary of marriage and getting through struggles is just realizing the grace of God upon yourself, okay? The grace that you've been shown is the grace that you reflect. So the moon, the beautiful full moon we've had lately, is just a reflection of that sun that's shining straight on it, okay? That can be us, no matter what kind of marriage we have. So, I have given you 12 suggestions. These are things we can all put into practice and also speak to our friends and neighbors about because our friends and neighbors are the ones coming to us complaining about our husbands. And the first thing is, you know, how women just love to talk because they're the ones talking to you. But the husband, not necessarily. And so you talk, 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 and eventually he's not looking at you and he's staring vacantly. Okay? So we can easily pinpoint that man and say, he is not a good man because he's not listening to me. But instead, do you realize that your talk is maybe like that constant dripping he's heard about before. So it's good for us to be sensitive to our man and to love him with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor as we've been told and to do unto others. So put yourself in his place. And some of you are working women who've come home after standing all day perhaps and you just want to put your feet up and, wow, you've been in, with people all day. Just give me some quiet. <laughs> so put yourself in his place. Maybe that's where he is. But you can learn to draw out your husband. You become interested. What's he doing? What's happening at work? Uh, sometimes we can be a super great help to our husbands by listening to what's going on at the work place, you know, some of the dynamics, the politics, the interactions, and give him some help. I mean, Eve was a help. She was out working with him. So if you say, my husband doesn't talk to me about his job, well, let's just think about approaching it in a way of being a help to him and not trying to fix him either. Because what man loves to tell you all the problems he's having at work and then you just give him right back what he needs to do about it? Okay? You see, that's not the kind of help that our husbands necessarily want. And maybe slowly we can learn to have that interaction with our husband so he can listen. But the daily debrief is a good way of getting on track, what's going on. Tell me about your day, honey you know, over the dinner table, or when we had small children, just get, can I just, you know, when you get home, can we just debrief real brief, you know, quickly? After church, that always happens. Okay, who'd you talk to, and what's going on, and who's having a baby? You know, let's do that. That is that little surface communication, which builds the relationship we're desiring, so that we're not the lonely wife with nobody to talk to. And the woman has the beautiful opportunity to make her husband feel safe about opening up himself and his thoughts and feelings. So the lonely wife might need to look at herself in the mirror and say, when he talks to me, am I putting him down? 
When he shares with me his insecurities, am I making fun of him? Or am I telling others about him? Okay, those things will shut him down quickly. And so the lonely wife may have to examine what she's doing in her family to create this situation. I, I realize some of you, or some of you have been talking to people, this is not an easy solution, but these are beginning steps, okay? So another suggestion, put your relationship first. And we've all talked to women who said, oh no, my husband's retiring and I don't know what to do with him. It's because we don't have that mutual love and companionship and now he's going to be home all the time. What's going to happen? I hate golf. Okay? So there's a way, though, of saying, I'm going to prepare now for my future companionship with my husband. He's going to be with me, Lord willing, years and years. So I'm going to work now at working, developing this relationship, drawing him out like a wise woman and making a long-term investment in our marriage. Now, the next point is called glorify God in your body. How do men relate to women? Okay, many of them on a physical relationship level. And I'm going to commend to you a blog by Aileen Challies you might have read called false messages and if you think of the sexual relationship from a man's point of view and how vulnerable a man is in that then this would be enlightening to you okay be enlightening to read this have this resource it's on the internet for you of what does sex mean to a man and we may think this guy is an animal. He's got animal instincts. Okay, so definitely the lonely wife, she has trouble in this area because, well, he's treating me like an animal, just gets his needs fulfilled. But this article talks about the husband who approaches his wife, and this is a vulnerable area for him. And the lonely wife will often have problems in her sexual relationship because let's face it, I've had many women sit in my office saying, I don't want to have sex with this man because we have no relationship. Okay? So we're working now to build a relationship, but also to understand from his point of view, how does he feel about sex? Is it just animal-like? No, it's, it's an expression of love on his part. And the broken relationship I'm not kidding you, can be fixed when we move 100% towards helping our husbands in this area. Okay? It's called False Messages, A Guide for the Godly Bride. I'm sorry I didn't put it in your resources. By Aileen Challies, C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S. Her husband, uh, Tim Challies, is a big blogger that maybe you've heard of. Okay, okay, well, this is great. I mean, read it. See what you think. Yeah, false messages. So, we can satisfy one another's physical and emotional needs and be unselfish. Okay, girls, 
be unselfish. Okay, you would really be surprised when women make an effort towards this area how much the husband responds and opens up and begins to talk because I feel accepted by this woman. I feel loved. He's feeling some hurt too, okay? I'm feeling loved by a woman who's willing to be with me when I feel like a slob sometimes and I feel insecure about myself and I know I'm fat and yet she's loving him. Do you see how that opens up the relationship? So I just encourage you in that way. But also, you I mean, women, they're so, they're so skilled at creating atmosphere and we do up our houses, don't we? We put flowers out and we do things on the walls and make it all nice. But we, have you thought about making an environment of love and welcome in your home, even for the husband? Okay. I mean, sometimes we think of him as an accessory, but he's not. He's the one that we're creating this haven for. So let's get creative. Let's be... Let's be uh, Use all those abilities that God has given us to make a home which my husband wants to be here. And we're talking, okay, the lonely wife, she'll complain her husband's out playing tennis every afternoon. And he's not talking to me. But if we make, create an atmosphere where, oh, honey, I've got your chair right here the way you like it. And I'm going to get, I'm going to serve you. And do you think he wants to be there? He wants to be there. And eventually, he's going to start opening up to you. He's going to start wanting to spend time with you. And forget those guys down at the bar, because they're no fun. They're not like my wife. She takes care of me. So I put a quote here from Ecclesiastes. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. And I asked a friend what to say to you all about Lonely Wives, and she said, Tell them they need to be their husband's girlfriend. Okay, that's why the pre-marriage is like beautiful. And we're always talking at Starbucks for hours. We can hardly stop. And yet things change. But we can go back. We can bring back this kind of Eden experience in our homes by making a loving, welcoming environment. And a place of rest and joy. Actually, if he's out working and slaving away with the horrible boss and that awful commute he's got, and he comes home, this, is his, this should be his place of rest. Okay, So that's, we're making an environment where my husband would want to be here, and then I'm not lonely. <laughs> okay, Maybe he's watching TV, but we're going to work on that. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to work on drawing him out. All right, so we've got him home at least. <laughs> but, okay, so since we're so verbal, we have to say something about using our words and how we're encouraging. And I've already referenced a husband who comes home with, like, this massive political thing going on at work where people are factions and I don't know what to do and I feel so stressed when I go there. And we want to use our words not to correct or push him down, but to encourage. I like what we have already heard this morning about encourage. Put courage in. I'm going to put courage into my man. He has to go out there and work so hard. I'm going to help him. And I commend to you a book called Practicing 
affirmation. This is affirming our husband. And I'm talking about men who are not talkers. They're not... They're not willing really experience it opening up. Maybe their dad never did something like that. But this husband, if you practice affirmation, and that just means lots of encouragement, then you'll find the response comes. And I know that because not personal husband, but family life, I've seen it. Lots of affirmation, and eventually you get conversation. And uh, Sam Crabtree's coming to Escondido next spring. We'll get to hear him ourselves. So come for that. Now, we're going to use our words to encourage. We're going to focus on what we like about our husband. And if we realize that out of the heart, the mouth speaks, the passage there written down in Luke, but other sections where Jesus talks about that, out of the how, mouth, the heart speaks. What is the evil, sinful heart that we have when we're disliking our husband? It could be envy. It could be yeah, comparing our husband with whatever, the pastor, or my sister's husband, or my friend's husband, or look at that guy. He's always repairing things at his house. Why don't you do that? That is a sinful heart of envy. Okay? So we're going to say, we're going to be aware of that, but we're going to also think, this is coming out of my evil, sinful heart. I need to confess. I may be putting down my husband and creating this lonely environment for myself by my words, by my sinful comparisons with my husband, with someone else. So, Lord, please change my heart. That's where we start. Now, also, you've got to remember 1 Corinthians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. Thank you, Lord, for this man you've given to me. So glad. And if any of you have done counseling for any length of time, you will have run across women who have real issues that need to be dealt with. There needs to be some talking out. Okay, the loneliness that's been created through sin has to be dealt with. And if you have an opportunity to go through any of the peacemaking materials of how to approach someone that with which you have a sin issue, then I commend those to you, practicing those steps which they talk to you about, how the sin that's come into life is a way of glorifying God. We turn it around and glorify God. And we'll practice how to give an apology correctly how to say i'm sorry honey i've realized that i have been creating an environment at our home that needs to be changed would you forgive me and going through what god is showing you and bringing it to your husband saying i know i need to change would you forgive me i've been creating an atmosphere of division in my home and i'm sorry and that brings us up to this whole idea of what Jesus says is instead of taking that speck out of hubby's eye of what he's not doing right and not doing for me is to confess the great big log in your eye. And there may be something that the Lord needs to show you 
instead of criticizing him, I've got something really big in my life. And that, that's creating this, this cold atmosphere at home. And it's creating a loneliness for both husband and wife. And so we're asking God to show us what that little speck could be. We've seen the speck in his eye, but what our log is. And then it's, we've got the passage from Matthew 5. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, like I know my husband's not happy, why else has he joined a, the club and he's out there golfing every afternoon and the weekend I never see him, okay? I, I have to say, Lord, I see something. My, hus- my husband has something against me. I'm going to leave that Bible study I'm going to. I'm going to leave all the worship I'm doing and go and be reconciled to your brother. It says, before we're free to offer worship, we need to correct these things. And this could be step by step, but we're taking the first step. We're moving towards reconciliation. And then we're going to ask God to help us as we, this is one of my main suggestions, okay, prayer, Lord, help us, help me to change the environment in my home. And, okay, maybe you're talking to your sister-in-law and she's complaining and say, okay, have you prayed about this? And I wish I had a dollar for every time a woman comes and complains to me about her husband and just turning it around and say, have you prayed about that? Are you praying about that? I just wish I could say, you know, and I have said this, he's not here right now. We're going to talk about your issues. Because, ah, it's it's so much. It's a broken record. And you know, she's telling you that. She's probably doing plenty of that at home too. Okay? So let's get back and say, Lord, just get my heart right. I'm going to pray about this situation. And... I'm going to confess that perhaps I've put my husband up there and he's supposed to do, he's supposed to be everything to me. He's, he's got to be my best friend. He's, he's got to be my girlfriend. He's got to be my shopper. He's got, to, he's got to take me to places that I want to go to. Okay? And if, we, if he's not doing, then we say, ah, we're critical and we've got to, Lack of faith, lack of uh, thankfulness for what God has given. So we start and we ask God for help. And we're told that as we seek his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. All right. Because he knows our frame. He knows we are but dust. I love that in Psalm 103. Because it's showing, you know, we can be humble and we can confess. Because he knows how we are. He made us. He's not surprised. And then the next step, if you're learning anything about peacemaking, you know you go to your husband and you can start right off by saying, I want to make some changes. I want our home to be a place where you feel comfortable. And asking his forgiveness, but saying, I want to start moving to building a relationship. I want that relationship to reflect what God has for us. And don't say, like so-and-so. Okay, then you're comparing him to whatever, your friends. Okay, don't say that. Just say, I want our reflection, of our, our marriage to reflect God's work in our lives. And then, perhaps, 
if you're vulnerable and you're honest, it'll just open up things for him. There, there are marriages that are saved just by simple asking forgiveness. And those are the ones we're so glad to see. But then you've got another, possibly have to take another step where you're going to have to ask for help. And this is when your friend calls you and says, I, there's, I don't know what to do in my marriage. I'm, we're living separate lives, and sometimes they're even separate bedrooms. What do you have to tell me? How can you help me? And this is where you would turn to, as it says in Matthew 18, bring one or two others, and you're looking for people who are really wise, really strong in the Lord, people who are trained in the Bible, and they don't have to be an egg certified, okay? They, they are people who are in your church, perhaps, somebody who understands what marriage is, what the dynamics are, and yet has a biblical answer for you. You bring that before your husband as a suggestion. And the leaders in your church are a wonderful resource because it says in Hebrews 13 that they are made shepherds of your soul. Okay, so don't think you're by yourself in this problem, that you just have to suffer in silence. You have to be embarrassed to tell anybody what's going on at home, really. You've got the fake happiness at church. Okay, you can bring someone else in because that's the job of the shepherd. And it's the job of those of us who are being trained, right? We want to come alongside and help. But no matter what, you're going to keep your focus on pleasing God, living for Him. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. We have an example in the Bible of a woman who was unloved. And you know the one, right? I've got it there in your notes. Leah. I'm going to read you a bit about Leah. So sad. I mean, this story, I mean, it makes you cry when you think about this poor woman. Okay, you know in Genesis 29, 17, she's got a sister who's gorgeous. And it says, lovely in form and face. She's She's got a competitor, poor Leah, because her, she herself has weak eyes, whatever that means exactly, but we know it's not lovely in form and beautiful. <laughs> poor Leah, she's living in this relationship. She's got a husband, but she has a sister also married to the same man. And I'm not sure what Leah was thinking or what happened with getting her in that situation. But no matter what, there's Leah in the morning of the wedding, the next day after the wedding, after the wedding night, which was clothed in darkness, I guess. Okay, so Jacob says to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Why do I have this wife? I mean, doesn't that break your heart just right there? So we get this big old explanation, and then Jacob finally gets to have Rachel, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. Verse 30. 
but God is in this. And in verse 31, the Lord saw Leah was not loved and he gave her children. And some women who are in this most difficult, lonely relationship will find the blessing of children to be so fulfilling for them. Okay? And you're grateful as you counsel these women. You say, I'm so thankful that you have these lovely children, that God has blessed you in that way. And he's blessing in many ways, but let's, let's say, okay, the Lord has given children as a blessing. But Leah's response with her first pregnancy was that she got a son, and she says, this boy will be named Reuben because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. And this is a desperate cry. It's painful. She's, she's thinking, I'm going to make my husband love me by giving him a son. Well, we know that's not what happened because she has another child. And in verse 33 of chapter 29, she says, Because the Lord has heard, I am not loved. She was given another son, Simeon. So she's persisting in this difficult situation. She gets pregnant again, has another son. And I can tell you in the Middle East, sons are all the right. I mean, that's the thing. That's like super blessed. She's had three sons now, but her child is named Levi because now at last my husband will become attached to me. Three sons. She thought that would do it for her. Verse 34, again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. She has a huge shift in her thinking here. She's thinking three times, My husband, if I just do this, he'll love me. If I just go to the gym, he's going to love me. If I lose 20 pounds, he's surely going to love me now. I've heard the country song about that, okay? <laughs> but here's the fourth one. She has said, this time I will praise the Lord. And the name of that son is Judah. And where did the line of Christ come from? Judah. That just gives me the shivers to think. She has now reconciled to where her life Instead of saying, my life is lived for the love of my husband, my life is now lived for God. She has changed her purpose in life. And what she wanted was sons, children, because God will give me loving husband. And yet, right now, she's saying, this time, I will love, I will just praise the Lord. But, you know, Bible's real. Bible's real, because Leah... She's still getting problems. Now we're looking at, okay, you have a whole thing about the servants and they're having kids by them or whatever. But then we have verse 17 of chapter 30. God listened to Leah and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my maidservant to my husband. So he's called Issachar. All right, so she's now she's a little backwards. 
little backwards. The whole giving your servant was not the right idea. And then, 19, Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I've borne him six sons. No, she's still, she's back into, I'm going to make him love me because I'm fertile. And not only that, we're having boys. So that was Zebulun. And she ended up with a daughter as well, Dinah. So she has lots of kids. And what she wanted was lots of kids. She wanted her husband's love more than anything. And she actually had to, we had to buy him, his time with him in verse 15, which, well, in verse 16. So Jacob is living in this situation. He's not really happy either because in verse chapter 30, verse 1, Rachel's getting mad that her sister's having kids, and she says to Jacob, Give me children or I die. Which you, you know, you read ahead, you know, actually Rachel did die in childbirth. But verse 2, Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who's kept you from having children? So, not a happy household. But what Leah teaches us, at least, I love this part about Judah. She, it's teaching us that she's reconciling herself to knowing God is the one who loves her. And this is where she finds fulfillment. Anything else is going to be far short. And I'm afraid those people who think the husband, he's so, he's so not the right husband. He's so selfish. He's, he's not talking. He's, he's always going, he's not sharing with me. Those people are saying, I want my husband to just give me that love I need. I need it. And we do. We need the love from God. We need God's love showered upon us and we turn to somebody human who's really inadequate. Okay? He can't be all that we need. Our husband tries. I mean, Christian husbands try, but if we get our focus back, my love, my purpose, my fulfillment comes from worshiping God and being in His care then you're going to have peace. And <clears throat> I was talking to a, a girl about my talk, and I said, what can I tell the ladies? And she said, God won't let you find happiness in your idols. So when you have the woman coming in to talk to you and say, my husband, he's not, you know, he's, it's, it's horrible life. I can't imagine 30 more years like this. Say, all right. Let's take a look at whether this man is, you're putting him in a place of God. Is he the one that you're expecting to do, to give all those things you need, which only God the Father can give? Because it's tough to be an idol. Because <laughs> you know you're going to disappoint. And some of us have little toddlers who look up to us. Oh, mommy. You're perfect. I want to marry you when I get older. You know, the little kid, once they realize that we're true sinners, <laughs> they've lost that idol worship, but that's when we redirect. We say, okay, God is there for you. God's going to give you that unconditional love. He's not going to be tired when you want to talk to him. He's not going to 
blow you off and be more important than his computer, make the computer more important than you. God's not like that. So when our husbands start doing stuff like that and we get mad at them, we're, we're realizing, oh, wait, he's, he's a fellow sinner. I need to be extra patient and understanding. He's not, he's not trying necessarily to tune me out. And the wise wife will say now and then, Honey, could we talk? Could you just put the computer away and let's talk? And the wise husband will respond really well to that and say, Oh, yes, I didn't realize. So that's where we're coming and we're talking, we're approaching our husbands with our needs so he knows. But the ultimate, the whole goal in life, everything is to serve and glorify God. Uh, Ecclesiastes 12:13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Philippians 3, 8 through 10. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. Consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And we can put our husbands under law that they are not spending X amount of time with us per day or not talking a long time to us before we have sex because that, you know, we can put him under law and refuse refuse sex or refuse conversation with him when we're mad at him, which is just law and it's not showing the grace that God has given us. Okay? And remember that God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And this is what you're telling the woman who's in this marriage, which is very difficult and she's coming up against a brick wall. She's trying to encourage, she's trying to minister to her husband, and he's, he's selfish, he's into himself, okay? And then you just say, what you're doing is remembering God is the husband. God is the heavenly father and the one who loves you more than anyone else. And you encourage that woman to persevere. And it takes faith to keep persevering it's like a fight and sometimes we use the biblical imagery of battle and saying you're in a battle my friend and I'm sorry it's against I mean you have to battle your temptations of selfishness with your husband I'm sorry it's in your home but let's work on it let's keep training our mind to think more how God thinks about it and press on in spite of your feelings all right, because we can. It's so easy to treat our husbands with law and saying you're doing this, so I'm doing that. I'm going to go shop because I'm mad at you. But instead, we're training our thinking. We're thinking, I'm in this. It's it's a battle, and I'm in this. I'm going to control my desire to just get back at him and submit myself to God. And think of it; it's really worth it. And if you talk to any of us who've been married any amount of length of time, decades, we'll tell you it is worth it Mm -hmm. 
It's a constant effort because, frankly, sinners will grow apart without coming together underneath the Lord. Okay, it's a natural tendency. Selfishness is a natural tendency. So we have been married a while. We'll tell you we're working on it. We're spending time. We're planning days away with our husbands. We're planning dinners with our husbands. And we're yanking him sometimes. Come on. I've been known to put myself on his calendar. Okay, this is time with Caroline. <laughs> we're going to spend time together. I'm making it happen. And we're going to remember we're serving. It's an opportunity to serve our husbands. It's when we live in humility with our husbands and live in um, remembering that God has opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And as we're told, humble ourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You can serve, and this is what you tell the wife who's struggling with a husband who's not opening up. You tell her, cast all of your cares upon the Lord. He cares for you. And this is your way of being like Christ. Wasn't Christ like that? I mean, he came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And, you know, when we do get those cravings for a big old gab fest and hubby's not into that because, wow, he's been working hard all day and then he mowed the lawn when he got home and he paid some bills and all that. Okay, we, we can call our friends. We can call our friends because we're the talkers, more than likely. And if you've got something on your heart or you just want to have a, you know, the husband... He may not be tuned to that, so you're most welcome to call a friend and have it, just get it out. I mean, Jesus himself had a set of friends, didn't he? And then he had a set of three really close friends, people he could sh- share with. and He could ask, come, come with me and in, into the garden and let's, let's pray a while. Those are going to be the friends you're calling. And... When your husband comes home, you are refreshed. It happens, right? Because you've, you've been able to talk about all kinds of things, kids and everything. So sometimes we need that outlet. And we have the Holy Spirit. We're never truly alone, are we? We have the companion, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And Jesus himself said, My Father... Who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. And if somebody doesn't love you or says mean things to you or treats you such as Rachel was treated, just remember the greatest lover that you have is Jesus. Okay? More of Christ. And we can get so involved in day-to-day stuff, we forget. I've got a Heavenly Father who loves me perfectly. And the woman who comes to you in pain with a longing for a close relationship with her husband, you can always point her to Christ and say, 
we'll work on your marriage. I will help you. I will do all I can for you. But remember, God loves you. And you perhaps, this may be the purpose of your trial, is to be focused more on God and develop that relationship where you're crying out to Him. And in the middle of the night, you're, you're praying in your bed to Him because He's there. That may be why you're bring, brought through this, because God doesn't want you to be happy without Him. You need Him. That'll draw you to Him. We also understand God knows our situation. He is a husband to us. He's our creator. He's, he's the sovereign Lord. I have this passage here in Hosea. Well, there's one in Isaiah, too. Isaiah 54. I'm going to read this because this is a key verse for helping these ladies. It says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. And then I have this passage in Hosea chapter 2, verse 16. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. Verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. In this very famous verse in 23, Hosea 22, 23, I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. They will say, you are my God. So just to wind up, um, give you a couple verses which the woman in this situation needs to hear. And first one is Philippians 3, 8 through 11. I've already read it, but let's get our mind back on God himself. Indeed, I count everything as loss. I, I count this marriage that's not turned out the way I wanted as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may retain the resurrection from the dead. In this benediction, Second Thessalonians 2.16, May the Lord, our Jesus Christ himself, and God our Father, who loved us, and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and great hope, Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. 
Copyright 2013, IBCD, All Rights Reserved. More free audios can be found on our website at www.ibcd.org.